Slow Burn Media and Bill Huffman present this week's episode of Who Killed Paige Renkowski. May 24th, 1990, investigators say Paige Renkowski dropped off her mother at Detroit Metro Airport around 11.30 in the morning, then went to visit a friend in Canton. Sometime between 2.30 and 2.45, she was seen at a store west of I-275 in Canton where she bought a beer, a beer later found in her car. Renkowski was last seen on the shoulder of I-96 near Fowlerville. It's a case that continues to baffle investigators. Paige Renkowski was a substitute school teacher who disappeared without a trace. But even after nearly three decades now, her family and investigators have never stopped looking or hoping. They are scraping layer by layer of the dirt here. Cadaver dogs hit on this area in four spots last week during a search. And these are dogs that only hit on human remains. They hit on four spots. Those four areas that they're searching are all within 35 yards of each other. And you're- Police released sketches of possible suspects in the cold case of the missing woman, Paige Renkowski. Paige vanished back in May of 1990. She was 30 years old. She disappeared along I-96 and the Fowlerville exit. Her car was found abandoned on the side of the road. Police actually got an encouraging tip over the weekend by a woman who said that her stepfather could be a suspect and that she says he resembles one of the sketches that was recently released by police. She told investigators that her stepfather used to live in this area back when Paige Renkowski disappeared. The sheriff tells me that they have yet to speak with that man. He lives out of state now, but they're certainly going to take a close look at that. Because we've been at it so long, Paige is, is really part of us. According to reports, uh, a burgundy minivan had pulled up behind her um, and she was supposedly seen talking to two men in between the vehicles. Witnesses told police they saw Paige standing on the shoulder talking to a man standing next to a maroon-colored minivan. Hours later, the 1986 Oldsmobile Cutlass she had been driving was found on the side of Interstate 96. That's a long time ago. If you know anything about this case, and it's possible you do, and just you thought about it, let the Livingston County Sheriff's Office know about it. Yeah, try to bring some closure for that family after all these years. But with more than 2,000 tips coming in, they haven't found the answer yet. The ground radar uh, was developed by the Army to uh, find the bodies of uh, soldiers that were buried during then it has now been refined and uh, is being available to a lot of times uh, cemeteries use it to find out if their plot is where it's supposed to be it will show you a body that's in the ground investigators came up with the sketches based on various tips they received over the last year and a half i think she was abducted from that location uh, where she went from there is really uh hasn't come out yet Hello and welcome to episode 60 of Who Killed, a slow burn media podcast providing a voice for the voiceless. I'm your host, Bill Huffman, and on this week's episode, we will be taking a look into the mysterious disappearance and possible murder of Paige Renkowski of Lansing, Michigan. Paige was only 30 when she was reported missing. She worked as a substitute teacher at the Educational Child Care Center in Lansing. She was widely known as the local babysitter who took care of a bunch of the neighborhood kids. Paige was a petite woman. She is described as having blonde hair, blue eyes, stood about five foot six, and weighed only about 125 pounds. She had three sisters and two nice working parents. One childhood friend even described her as being the quote-unquote creative one. 
Despite having loving parents, Paige did witness them go through a rough divorce, like many children of the 1990s and, well, forever. Basically, by all accounts, though, she had a very good childhood, and she was actually considered to be very vivacious and a fun-loving woman. And it was around 11.30 a.m. on May 24th, 1990, that Paige Renkowski drove her mother to the Detroit Metropolitan Airport and then visited a friend in Canton, Michigan. The airport was approximately 90 minutes from her home, and reports say that she was seen between 2.30 p.m. and 2.45 p.m. west of Interstate 275 in Canton. She reportedly bought beer that was later found in her car. According to newspaper accounts, a gas station worker remembered seeing Rinkowski because she was wearing, quote, distinctive, multicolored, loose-fitting, flower-patterned pants and a distinctive necklace. I know this was 1990, so that outfit we'll just leave there. Paige's family has always maintained that they couldn't picture her ever stopping her car on the side of an interstate. Her fiancé, Steve, whose last name I cannot pronounce, said she wouldn't have stopped unless it was somebody she knew. She's smarter than that, he said. Paige met Steve at a Michigan State hockey game in 1987. East Lansing is home to the Big Ten College and there are many Michigan State-related things to do in the city. Police have ruled the case a homicide, even though her body has never been located, and no one has been charged in her disappearance or death. So after listening to the evidence and the story about her disappearance, you decide who killed Paige Renkowski. When Paige drove her mother to the airport on that Thursday, she was actually driving her mother's car, Now, Paige owned a little red Toyota sports car, and her mom's car was bigger, so they decided to take that car. The car she was driving was a silver Cutlass Callus, which was owned by the company her mom worked for. And that was found running, with its lights on, on the roadside along Interstate 96. For whatever reason, Paige had pulled over on the interstate. Witnesses reportedly saw Paige talking to a man about 220 pounds, and 20 to 30 years old. The Livingston County Sheriff's Department estimated that at least 80% of the nearly 800 tips reported about Paige state that she was speaking to an African-American man. They said the man she was talking to was also standing next to a maroon-colored minivan. When police found her mom's Oldsmobile, it wasn't processed as a crime scene because it was just thought to be an abandoned vehicle. This is unfortunate in many ways. The most obvious is the wiping away of potential fingerprints or evidence. When they towed the vehicle, it was, as I mentioned, just an abandoned vehicle, and so there was no reason to note exactly where the car was found, and nobody took pictures of the scene. So this presents a clear problem from the start, because investigators still don't know the precise location where the vehicle was actually discovered. Now, they did use some witnesses to help point them to the closest location, but, again, not precisely. The Lansing Journal reported the first motorist known to notice Page told the original investigators that he saw the 1986 Oldsmobile Cutlass on the side of the road several times that day as he traveled back and forth to Lansing. Since there weren't any cell phones at this time, Page's mother was kind of left in the dark as she was visiting her family in Georgia. So it would be a few hours before the word of her disappearance even reached her. Now, her mom did go on to say that Paige wasn't the type to just stop on the way home 
go shopping or something. She would have just gone home. Now, the community rallied together to find Paige, posting flyers, convening searches, and, you know, doing anything that they could to get the word out. Lansing, Michigan's capital, is considered safe. It was also home to the now-shuttered Oldsmobile factory. After Paige disappeared, nine tracking dogs were brought in, actually a few days after this disappearance, and they combed through a 500-acre wooded area south of I-96, somewhat near the spot where Renkowski had disappeared, but did not find any clues. A state police helicopter did assist in the search as well. Now, Lansing is a city of roughly 100,000 people. It is a working-class town and was founded in the 1870s. One of the unique pieces of architecture is the Michigan State Capitol building, which features a cast-iron dome. Now, the city is very family-friendly and affordable. Since the automaker Oldsmobile closed down, the city now has the R.E. Olds Transportation Museum, where visitors can see classic and contemporary Oldsmobile cars. Then there's the Potter Park Zoo, which houses endangered and threatened species, such as the Magellanic penguins, black rhinos, and golden lion tamarins. The police force in Lansing is not one you would find in a major metropolitan city, but they were definitely competent. The reason why this case took so long to get going was Paige wasn't reported missing until late in the day on the Thursday that she took her mother to the airport. And this was actually due to a bystander or a witness that actually had seen her vehicle on the side of the road at 7.45 p.m. and had called the police. So as the investigation was continuing, investigators began looking for any connection that could lead them to Page. And according to Betsy Miner of the Lansing Journal, they made a call to detectives in Ann Arbor. They wanted to see if the disappearance of Miss Frankowski was linked to the slain of a Canton Township woman the previous fall. Now, Renkowski had visited the same park where Beverly Wivel's car was found on September 18, 1989. Wivel's body had been found 10 hours earlier on the roadside, and she had been shot several times. Detectives said they were using the fact that they had both been seen at the same park to make the connection to Washington County. They said at the time they were investigating whether the two cases could be linked. Paige Renkowski reportedly visited Canton Township's Griffin Park which is halfway between Ann Arbor and Detroit, with friends on May 24th. Wivel, who was also 30, was found in the previous fall on the roadside of M14. The age and connections to the park led detectives to think there may be a real link. Chris Graves of the Lansing State Journal did write on June 5th, 1990, that federal, state, and local authorities were continuing to investigate tips about the disappearance of Miss Renkowski. The Livingston County Sheriff's Department had fielded more than 250 tips about her disappearance, and tips came from anywhere from Chicago all the way up to Houghton Lake. Livingston County Sheriff's Dennis DeBurton said, quote, her shoes and purse were found in the car, no money had been taken from her purse, and there was no sign of a struggle, unquote. As I mentioned before, Paige was last seen wearing a white silk shirt with a long beaded necklace and silk-patterned slacks. It was rumored that a woman did see her at a rest stop kiosk along the interstate. At this point, police were still being optimistic. 
Quote, she might show up somewhere, unquote, DeBurton said. Hopefully it will be alive. The fact her car was undamaged, the door was unlocked, and there was no sign of a struggle, they were obviously still holding out hope. We always talk about Occam's razor, the philosophical theory that the simplest answer is usually the answer. So Paige's car was clearly abandoned, and with the items left behind, I kind of feel like it should have been taken to mean foul play was most likely involved, and police investigating the vehicle probably should have taken it with a little bit more seriousness than they did. Now, her fiancé, Steve, said despite a lot of tips, nothing substantial was ever developed. Steve, whose last name I still cannot pronounce, spent almost every day during the first two weeks that she was missing checking out every maroon van that he could find. He was quoted as saying, I just can't stop until there's absolutely nothing left to do. And according to the Associated Press, in less than a month, the Livingston County Sheriff's Department had received over 500 tips. On June 18, 1990, police said they were still tracking leads about Paige, but it was beginning to be clear the hope was starting to fade. Unfortunately, not much had changed the investigation after the first day. Police were still holding out hope that someone would come forward and help investigators get on the right track, or she would just show up one day. But as time moved on, the odds of finding her continued to dwindle. Paige's parents and her fiancé put up 25 billboard ads with a 10-foot-tall picture of Paige. They told the associate press at the time, somebody had to see something. We are hoping someone who knows something will see one of these billboards and come forward with information that will help us find Paige or find out what happened to her. Her father, Carl Renkowski, told the press, all it takes is that one person. That's what we're hoping for. After Paige vanished, the sheriff's office needed a 20-person task force to sift through the more than now 700 tips, but again, they were never able to get the information that would lead to finding her. Even Paige's mother knew things were bad. Her mother, Artis Renkowski, told reporters, as each day passes, hopes of finding her daughter alive were becoming less likely. But she wasn't one to give up hope. She would go all in on finding her daughter, no matter where it took her. And since this was still 1990, psychics were still a thing, and they were involved in this case. The family actually hired a psychic to help them find any information they could about Paige. Nothing came of the psychic, but nonetheless, they did explore that route. They also distributed more than 27,000 posters, flyers, circulars, and whatnot with Paige's picture and description. The desperation and exhaustion can be seen in the quotes of the investigators at the time. Lieutenant Larry Kelly told the Associated Press, quote, Our tips have dwindled down to almost nothing, and all of our leads have gone nowhere. All we know is that it's pretty unlikely Paige Renkowski left on her own. So days turned to weeks, and eventually months began to go by without any information about where Paige could have gone or who would have wanted to hurt her. On the one-year anniversary of Paige's disappearance, Ann Sweeney of the Detroit News spoke with members of her family. She wrote that the Rakowski family and her fiancé Steve, again, whose name I cannot pronounce, have used every means possible to find her. And as I mentioned before, they used 
billboards, and a psychic. Quote, it's been a terrible year for us all. Not knowing what happened or where she is, her sister Tammy Brankowski said from her home in Chicago. Paige's mother said, quote, we're going through different stages of numbness, anger, depression, highs and lows. I think we've gone through every stage. She went on to say she tried not to think about all the negative things that could have happened to her daughter. Quote, hopefully she's happy, alive, and safe somewhere. Back in 1990, despite the response from witnesses, police were stumped. Paige's mother did what a lot of parents do after losing a child and ended up becoming a champion, not only for other families of the missing, but for investigators as well. They didn't know if she left on her own or foul play was involved, despite the strange circumstances surrounding her disappearance. But after police finally learned the vehicle in their possession was linked to Paige's disappearance, they started to examine it as if it was a crime scene. As I mentioned before, this was almost 48 hours after she was last seen. So crime scene investigators did find several fingerprints and palm prints while examining the vehicle, but they were never able to find a match in any law enforcement databases. Renkowski had been reported being near her car about 3 p.m., but again, officers did not reach the scene until nearly 8 p.m. that night. And again, her vehicle was found on the westbound side of I-96. And this is a point worth harping on because this gave plenty of time for Paige's abductor to make a clean getaway. And definitely one of the main reasons why there's so little evidence to go by. As the search progressed and the investigation moved forward, albeit slowly, more tips eventually began to come in. Some witnesses came forward to say that they had seen a blonde matching Rinkowski's description while driving on Interstate 76. As all true crime fans and armchair sleuths know, eyewitnesses are consistently found to be unreliable. But in a missing persons case, you have to take what you can get. Two truck drivers reported that they may have passed her when she was driving her vehicle on I-96. Again, as I mentioned earlier, there were some strange descriptions given to police. Some witnesses said that she was being tailed by a maroon-colored minivan. Now, you heard in the trailer, some people saw two people talking to someone who looked like Paige, while all of the earlier reports state it was just one man. I can't get over the fact she left behind her purse and her shoes were found inside the car. These should have been the red flags that police would have needed to issue a warrant to search the vehicle. Again, the case stalled after just a few months. So in January 1991, things actually took a Zodiac-type turn. A hand-drawn map was delivered to investigators in Page's case. Now, the map alleges to lead to Paige's body. There was a letter attached in which the anonymous author claims they had nothing to do with the disappearance, but had heard something and wanted to share it with officers to, quote, do with it as you see fit. It goes on to say the map is, quote, supposed route taken by her, quote unquote, abductors. Police searched extensively in the areas marked by the map, but found nothing. According to the Charlie Project, family members told investigators that Renkowski may have been having problems with her fiancé in May 1990, but it's not believed that she left for that reason. 
Authorities reopened Renkowski's case in the 1990s. An unidentified inmate in a Michigan prison was named as a suspect in Page's disappearance in May 2001. The man was in prison for carjacking. His victim was a young woman, and the crime occurred only weeks after Renkowski disappeared. Police interviewed the suspect several times and believed he had been one of the men Renkowski spoke to shortly before she went missing. But when the individual took a lie detector test, he passed and investigators eventually eliminated him from their list. The Charlie Project has the sketches of six suspects in Renkowski's disappearance posted with her case summary on their website. Clearly, the suspects have never been identified. Time becomes your enemy in disappearances, and it began to show as cold case investigators started looking back into the case. Some people believed the second vehicle was parked in front of Renkowski's. However, the majority of witnesses reported seeing the second vehicle behind Renkowski's car. Those witnesses reported that Renkowski and an unidentified male were seen standing and talking between the two vehicles. In 2010, members of the Livingston County Sheriff's Cold Case Unit said they had narrowed their focus to a person of interest from the Detroit area, and they actually had a sketch of him, too. Now, I will include this sketch on the Who Killed website. It is the same as the one on the Charlie Project website. And in a somewhat unusual move, Investigator Joe Morrow told Detroit CBS that he had a 1999 sketch of the man aged to the present day by a forensic artist, was hoping that someone would recognize him. He also said the investigators were revisiting an intriguing connection to the case and the person of interest. Seven months before Renkowski disappeared, a Washington County woman was killed and her car was found in Canton Township's Griffin Park. Again, that is the case that I mentioned earlier about the Ann Arbor detectives. And again, that connection was that, like Renkowski, all the woman's belongings were actually left behind in her vehicle, along with the fact that they had gone to the same park and were both 30 years old. For years, Page's case remained on the cold case shelf, but with advancements in technology, they have made her case one of the most important ones to solve. And according to reports, they started in May 2011 by searching a pond in Handy Township using ground-penetrating radar. A woman reported seeing a pair of cement-covered boots there around the time that Brenkowski disappeared. In November 2011, the FBI, state, and local police began a dig operation in Conway Township in search for Page's remains. Cadaver dogs identified the site a week prior to the dig, and investigators went to the property after reviewing the 1999 case file, which included that Zodiac-style drawn map indicating where Page Renkowski's remains were buried. In May 2013, investigators announced they would be erecting billboards featuring Renkowski once again and two other missing women. Now a $25,000 reward would also be presented on the billboards. The other two women featured are Kimberly Luisel and Christina Castiglione. Luisel was a Green Oak Township teen who disappeared in 1982, and her body was found in 
Island Lake Recreation Area. Castiglione was a 19-year-old Redford Township woman whose body was found in 1983 in the Oak Grove State Game Area. According to the Charlie Project, the billboards show pictures of the three women who were either abducted or murdered in the early 1980s in the general area where Paige vanished. It is not known if these cases are related to Paige's disappearance, but it's not a stretch to say that they could be. They are determined not to stop until they find out what happened. They hope the billboards noting the reward will at least lead to someone bringing something forward. Another witness told the Lansing Journal they saw a man holding Renkowski's elbow and guiding her on the day that she disappeared. And according to an article from the same newspaper in 2015, investigators were working on three theories. One, was it someone she knew? Two, was it a staged accident? Or three, did someone impersonate an officer to get her to stop? The number one question is why Paige stopped on the shoulder of a busy interstate when she was within sight of her exit and could have found help if she needed it. Mike Frere, a member of the cold case team, spoke to the Lansing Journal about the investigation. He told the journal in regards to the first theory, the odds are long that she'd be driving along I-96 at 70 miles per hour and see someone she knew who had evil intentions. That just doesn't seem so. It's also a long shot to follow her from Okimo to the airport to a girlfriend's and back to Lansing. Unquote. Michigan has long been associated with automakers, and I think that may play a role in how fast everyone seems to drive throughout the state. I've spent years traveling to and from Michigan, and the speed is always a little jarring. Freyer thinks the second theory is plausible, but not likely. Most staged accidents are done for money, and there were no claims filed, and Paige actually had a lot of money in an investment account that she never ended up touching. And that leaves the third theory, and the one that would fall into line with Occam's razor. Freyer said it's possible that Paige would have stopped if another motorist flashed a police badge or gave any indication he was an officer and needed her to stop because her father had law enforcement experience and she most likely would have respected the badge. To say that she would have stopped for an authority figure definitely seems like a real possibility. I would add my own two cents to that theory and say it also could have been someone impersonating an officer. And according to Mike Frere, there was a fellow who had tried to pull a woman over who had a security officer's badge on I-96 on the Kensington exit. He tried his badge and pulled her over. And investigators said back in 2010, the man in the sketch was prosecuted for trying to pull the woman over, but they weren't able to gain much information in regards to Paige's disappearance. I would say the chances of this Man being the perp are unlikely, especially since they say he passed a lie detector test. I don't know about you, but this theory seems like a hard one to kind of believe. How would this person know who they were targeting? It seems like a rather reckless move, in my opinion, because they could have been seen by so many people. But I will say the fact there was a man who was arrested for impersonating an officer where Paige went missing, it definitely makes it a possibility. I just think it's just such a 
stupid thing to do if you're really trying to get away with committing an abduction or a murder. What do you think about these theories? I mean, I think they're possible, but not the most likely scenario. Let's not forget what was found in her car, her purse, her shoes, and an open container of beer. In May 2002, the Associated Press reported police had identified two suspects in connection with Paige's disappearance. One of those suspects was in prison at the time. The other was 17 at the time the Okomo woman went missing and flunked a polygraph exam. Nowadays, when there is a missing person, it's different from what it was 30 years ago. Those two suspects would have been, oh, you know, pretty much given every DNA swab available and most likely would have been able to be connected to the crime if they were connected to the crime, not saying that they were. Cold case investigator Mike Frayer told the journal, there had been some persons of interest that we've depicted or developed over the years, and I think half of them are dead. Quote, one was shot and one died in prison, and we weren't actually able to rule them out. Even the fingerprints weren't able to rule them out, unquote. Now, some important things to remember about Paige's disappearance. Like I said, she left a large sum of money in her bank account. Two, she had no travel plans. Three, she really did have a close relationship with her mother. And four, she was engaged to be married to Steve. Unfortunately, we may never know what actually happened that day in 1982. As time ticks by, family members and suspects die. Paige's mother passed away in late 2017 and had to go to the grave not knowing what happened to her daughter. After Paige's mother passed away, a dual memorial was held in 2018 to honor both Paige and her mom, Artis. Paige's sister, Michelle Renkowski-Hollis, told the Associated Press, quote, The first year after Paige disappeared was pretty traumatic on everyone. But after that, my mom really used that time to become proactive. Michigan State Police Sergeant Sarah Krebs said, quote, I know that she said that she was not going to let the disappearance of Paige destroy her or her family. And she didn't, unquote. Artis had a contagious energy and positive relationships with investigators. She grew into a role of advocacy, as I mentioned, for other families of the murdered and missing. Sergeant Krebs said, quote, That's one of the reasons that I would use her, to bring her into audiences and to give law enforcement and medical examiners and different groups a word from the victim's life and how it touches them. And I think that's really important for us to hear, unquote. Police respected Rinkowski so much that in 2015, they established the Artis Rinkowski Advocacy Award. She was, of course, the first recipient. Sergeant Krebs said, quote, I think she became a role model for other family members, and we pointed them in her direction. Before we wrap up, Paige does have a couple significant markers. In the off chance, one of you comes across her body. She had a long surgical scar on the right side of her arm. Surgical scar on the right leg from a knee replacement. While the scars obviously would be hard to find if you're just looking for bones, there were two surgical screws in her left knee. And again, this is just one of those tragic cases where Paige was in the wrong place at the wrong time, at no fault of her own. 
I really hope Paige's surviving family will one day find the answer they have been searching for all of these years. In all of the digs and all of the tips and in all of the avenues that investigators have gone down, the case still remains unsolved and will continue to be unsolved until somebody either comes across her body or someone has a moment where they want to get something off their chest or a deathbed confession. I believe that these types of cases are incredibly difficult to carry as far as a burden goes, and anybody who was involved in Paige's disappearance, it was most likely just an individual because it becomes much more difficult to maintain your secrecy if it is a group of people or even just two people involved. You know, you have to worry about what they say to investigators if they do end up in that situation. So my assumption and my two cents is Paige was probably abducted, unfortunately, by someone that she may have known. She may not have known, though, because there really is no evidence that points to anybody who had any ill will towards her. And stranger abductions are the hardest abductions to solve. The chances of her abduction and murder that they've now ruled a murder of it being solved are really low and that I think is what's so tough and I just really feel for the families that are involved in these situations where investigators kind of have to just acknowledge that despite all of the technology and all of the DNA advancements some cases just can't be solved again since the car was not processed as a crime scene A lot of evidence could have been destroyed, and some of those prints may not have any connection to this case. If there's anything to learn from Paige's unfortunate disappearance, is investigators should have taken the case with more seriousness than they did when they discovered the abandoned vehicle because of the items that were found in her car. And, again, hindsight's 20-20, and investigators have learned a lot since then. So there's no reason to criticize. It's just one of those things that if it was done differently, we may be able to find an answer. And unfortunately, at this point, we don't have one. So that is the story of Paige Renkowski. I hope you guys will take her case, look into her case. There is a lot of information. I know Detroit CBS did a bunch of stuff on her case The Lansing Journal has a bunch of articles on her disappearance, and they are all very worthwhile reads. So check them out, and again, thank you for tuning in this week, and I really hope Paige's family will one day, again, find answers to the questions that they so desperately want. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Who Killed Paige Renkowski? If you enjoy this independently produced podcast and would like to help keep this show on the air, you can do so by clicking on the donation button on the left-hand side of slowburnmedia.com. That is slow minus the W or via the Venmo app with my username at bill-huffman-3. I will also provide a link in the show notes. But seriously, any amount is appreciated and really does help keep this podcast going you can also support the show by leaving a five-star review on apple podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows 
This will help keep the important cases I cover in the spotlight. For those of you who were planning on attending CrimeCon in May, it has obviously been postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The new dates are October 30th to November 1st and will be held in the same hotel and venue in Orlando. I am planning to be on Podcast Row, representing all of my Slow Burn Media shows. If you want to save on a ticket, you can use my promo code, Amy2020, for 10% off. Again, that is Amy2020. For those of you who'd like to stay up to date on the cases that I have covered, as well as the new shows I have in the pipeline, please follow me on Twitter at BillHuffman3. If you are new to the show, all my previous episodes are available for free wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you have any information concerning Paige Renkowski's whereabouts, please contact the Livingston County Sheriff's Department at 517-546-2440 or the Michigan State Police at 810-227-1149. All information can be submitted anonymously. And if you have any other information on any of the cases that I have featured, you can always submit a tip via Crime Stoppers or by reaching out to the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI. So thank you guys again for listening, and until next time, be safe and healthy. Hi, this is Amy and Vanessa from She Goes by Jane, where we shine light on the stories of missing and unidentified women. On November 7th, we're sharing Nahida's story for the first time in a podcast. And this is a story that I thought I knew. But after reading police reports, it became more complicated than I thought. When investigators are called to Nahida Khatib's house, everything looks fine. Her purse is on the kitchen table, her cup of coffee is on the counter, and her two-year-old niece is in her playpen. The only thing amiss? Nahida is missing. Every week, we feature a poem written in honor of the person we're talking about. This week, we're joined by one of our favorite actresses. You might know her from Sister Act or King of the Hill or The Descendants. But if you're like us, you'll know her from Hocus Pocus. She's the much-beloved Kathy Najimy. Join us November 7th to hear Nahida's story. Hi, I'm Sean McCabe. And I'm Carrie McCabe. We are, well, married, obviously, (laughs) but we're also obsessed with the darker side of things. True crime stories, alien abductions, poltergeists. If it leaves you scratching your head and keeping those lights on at night, we want to hear about it. That's why we host the podcast Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. Every week, we bring our listeners a true story guaranteed to send chills down your spine, from history's most brutal serial killers to the mystery of spontaneous human combustion. Yep, lots of these stories leave unanswered questions behind, and you'll get to poke through the rubble of the evidence with a hardened skeptic and... Someone whose mind is more open to fun. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. (laughs) You can find Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie wherever you get your podcasts, and on social media at Ain't It Scary. Come play with us.